pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in your great love you sent your Son into the world that he might die to save us. Help us now as we come to read your word to, that you might work in us, that we might trust in him and his salvation more and more, that we might truly have life in his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do take a seat. Well, it really is the hot topic, isn't it? On everyone's lips. Hard week for some. Well, let's talk about leaving. Talk about the benefits of leaving. The pain of leaving, the pain of separation, the uncertainty. What life will look like afterwards. All the ramifications. It was the hot topic for the disciples as Jesus talked about his coming departure from them. There's something else going on. Yeah, not worth talking about, the other stuff. This is worth talking about. We're returning, of course, to Jesus' farewell words to his disciples uh, in John's Gospel. If you've closed it up, please open back to page 1082 to John chapter 16. Those with good memories might recall that we're picking up where we left off uh, last month or maybe a bit before, uh, looking at Jesus' words of encouragement to his disciples. How are they going to live as his disciples once he departs back to his Father? And much of what he has to say to them, uh, he has to say to us too, because we also live in that period without Jesus here with us. So Jesus has been speaking of his departure. He's been seeking to comfort his disciples, to encourage them, to strengthen them, and also to warn them, to warn them about what might happen, what will happen, the pressures they will face once he returns. I wonder if, for many of us, we some way envy the disciples. Well, at least up to this point. They, they were there with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus for three years. I don't know about you, I've got my list of questions to ask Jesus when I next see him. Right? But they had him there in front of them to ask him, to enjoy his presence, to live with him, to learn from him. And I wonder if we sometimes look back at that time and say, wouldn't that have been great to be there with Jesus? But Jesus is telling his disciples, actually, it's a good thing I'm going. You'll be better off without me. They'll be better off without his physical presence there. And for us, there's something right in missing being with Jesus. We ought to long to be with him, to live with him. And that's our future hope, that when Christ returns, we will see him as he is. We will know him face to face in a way that we can only imagine at the moment. But we're better off living now, this side of the cross, than when the disciples did before the cross. 
We're in the same situation from that point of view as the disciples, that it's good for us that Jesus isn't here as we long for him to return. I wonder if in part sometimes our longing for that time to have been with Jesus there is that we, it's harder for us to experience God's presence with us now. As we'll go on to see, God, Jesus promises that his return will make way for the Spirit to come. And we know, of course, that God's Spirit is at work in us, amongst us, in the world at the moment. And we'll see again how Jesus fleshes that out. But the Spirit's work in the world is somewhat harder for us to discern. If Jesus was here in person, we could see the man. We could hear him talk. And whilst we trust that the Spirit is here and at work amongst us, it's sometimes harder for us to discern. So we long to see Jesus face to face. We long to be with him, to be taught by him. But as we'll come to see, as Jesus explains the benefits for the disciples of his departure to make way for the Spirit, we'll come to understand something of the Spirit's role. And as we understand more clearly what the Spirit's role in this era in which we live in, as we understand more clearly what the Spirit's role is, it will be easier for us to recognise, hey, there's God at work, as we see the Spirit at work. So up to this point, uh, Jesus has been warning his disciples about his departure and, and their main concern is about him leaving. They haven't really focused much on where he's going. Just They haven't really heard anything after, I'm leaving. He's been telling them that he's going, that he's going to return to the Father. But they haven't, they've just been focused on his departure. So as we pick up this section from chapter 16, verse 5, he says to them, None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But Jesus goes on to say, don't be sad. You will be better off without me. Verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Well, why is it for their good? How could it possibly be for their good that their leader, their master, their teacher, their Lord is about to leave them on their own and depart? Well, Jesus says that his going will lead to the Spirit's coming. Unless I go away, he says, I'm in verse 7 here, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate that Jesus has already spoken of, the Holy Spirit, um, the advocate is sometimes translated helper or comforter or intercessor or counsellor or strengthener. This one who is there to help you, to guide you, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he will come when I go. I will send him to you. This is why it's for your good. When I go, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. Now this, in fact, is the fourth time Jesus has promised the presence of the Holy Spirit in this little uh, farewell section. 
We, we've already heard in this section that God the Father will send the Spirit, that God the Son will send the Spirit, and that the Spirit will be them, with them in the midst of their, them being troubled, the midst of them being unsettled by Jesus' departure, as they are afraid and filled with grief. So back in chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus promises another advocate, another helper, another one like him who will be with them and guide them and will help them and indeed be with them forever. In chapter 14, verse 25, he says, The advocate will come to teach you all things, to remind them of all that Jesus had taught them. And in the previous chapter, in chapter 15, verse 26, just at the beginning of this little section, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In fact, he'll do this in partnership with the disciples, verse 27, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit, the Advocate that Jesus will send once he goes away, will come to comfort them, to teach them, to testify about Jesus. And here in this section we see he comes to convict. Verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the, the Holy Spirit will have a ministry both to the disciples, to those who follow Jesus, and to the world. But his ministry will not be radically different from that of Jesus. He will continue the same ministry. He will be sent by the Father, by the Son. Just, just as Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, so the Spirit is sent by the Father and now by the Son to continue the ministry of Jesus, to continue to be a comforter, a helper, to continue to teach them, to remind them of all that Jesus had done, to continue to testify about Jesus, but also to convict. Just as Jesus forced a division in the world, some people responded positively to him, some responded negatively to him. The Spirit will continue that same ministry. So just back in the previous chapter again, uh, chapter 15, verse 20, we read, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So in Jesus' ministry, some persecuted him, some responded positively to him. And the Spirit will force the same division in the world. Because like Jesus, it will show that what it does is evil. Jesus, again in the previous chapter, verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus has shown up the sin of the world, and this is the ministry that the Spirit will continue. So, the Spirit's ministry to the world is to convict the world, to prove that the world is wrong. This is not to convict it to some external judge, some arbitrary governor outside of God or the world, but to convict the world itself, the individuals within the world. 
convict themselves that they are in the wrong. To bring people to an acknowledgement of their own personal guilt. To shame the world. To convince it of its own guilt before God so that they will come to repentance. The purpose of this ministry of convicting the world is ultimately that they might come to repentance and turn to the God who they are rejecting. And Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will convict the world in three particular areas. When he comes, verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Then he elaborates, verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. The great sin of the world is the rejection of Jesus and the Father who sent him. Jesus is God's true revelation to the world. If the world rejects who Jesus is, they're rejecting the God who sent him, the God who he reveals. It can't claim to have a, a trust in God whilst rejecting the one he has chosen to make himself known to the world. And so the great sin of the world is the rejection of Jesus. The world denies Jesus, denies who he is, and denies its sinfulness. It's unwilling to admit that. And so their failure to respond to Jesus in the right way leaves them condemned. It's not that they're condemned because of that. They're condemned, we're all condemned because of our guilt first and foremost. But their failure to recognise who Jesus is leaves them in their denial of their sin, leaves them in their guilt. So back in chapter 3, we read this. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And a little later, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And so here, the work of the Holy Spirit in seeking to convict the world of their sin, primarily the sin of rejecting Jesus, of not acknowledging their own standing before God and not accepting the one he sent. The work of the Holy Spirit in convicting the world of this is to bring people to the realisation for their great need so that they might turn to Christ and be saved. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world about sin because people do not believe in Christ Verse 10, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now the world has a distorted view of righteousness, a distorted view of what is good and right and just. And this is perfectly displayed, the, the distorted view of righteousness, in Jesus' perfect life. Jesus came and lived the perfect, righteous life. Never disobeyed his father. Never sinned. 
And yet the perversity of the world is demonstrated as so many, as we read through the accounts of Jesus' life, so many not only reject Jesus, but accuse Jesus of being evil. Indeed, at times they even attribute his power to Satan. And you see how wrong this is. When you see the perfect example of righteousness, the perfect example of all that is good, and you call it evil, then your view of righteousness is entirely upside down, entirely distorted. But Jesus says, the Spirit's going to convict the world of righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus' righteousness will be vindicated and demonstrated by his resurrection and ascension, by which he will return to his Father in heaven. This will vindicate the perfect life that Jesus has lived. And as Christians, as we continue to seek to live lives that follow Christ, that are obedient to him, uh, we will see also, we will also experience this distortion, this criticism that comes as people look at our lives, as we seek to follow Christ and call what is good in them evil. And so the Spirit's work in the world is to convict them of their distorted view of righteousness as they see something good in the lives that God's people live. And as they come to recognise Jesus' vindication through his resurrection and ascension. The third thing that the Holy Spirit will work to convict the world of is about judgment. Verse 11, about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Uh, previously, back in chapter 12, speaking about Jesus' imminent death, he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world, who will be driven out in, in the event of Jesus' death, the prince of this world who now stands condemned, is the one who has sought to usurp God's rightful authority over the world. The prince of this world Jesus is talking about is Satan. But Jesus' ministry, that, that culminates in his death and resurrection has achieved the defeat and driving out of Satan. Satan stands condemned. And this condemnation is a precursor to his final demise on the day of judgment. A fate that will be shared by all those who follow in his path. They will face the same reality of judgment. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world that they are facing judgment uh, as they follow after the prince of this world, of Satan. That's all heavy stuff, isn't it? But it's important to understand how the Spirit is at work in the world. The way that people will come to a saving faith in Christ is through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is to show up the world's pretensions, to point them out to the world, to expose by the light of the Holy Spirit the darkness of the world for what it really is. It's a merciful work because the world already stands in darkness. The world already stands condemned. And so it's in a great need to learn of its plight. It's in great need, but it's in ignorance or willful rejection of the truth of God. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is merciful as it seeks to show the world up for what it truly is. And so in this era, with Jesus' death and resurrection and glorious ascension, Jesus is saying to the disciples, this work of the Holy Spirit that's coming after my death and resurrection, it will be better for you to live in that world where the Holy Spirit is at work than to live prior to the cross, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection and defeat of Satan. Jesus isn't saying that you'll be better off with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit somehow trumps Jesus. So you've had the era of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit era will be even better for you. He's not saying it's like that. And nor is uh, Jesus saying that somehow the Holy Spirit and he can't be at work together, can't be simultaneously uh, with God's people. But what Jesus is saying is there's a different era about to come, brought about by his death and resurrection. It will be the era of the Holy Spirit, the era of the kingdom of God. Because there are numerous uh, episodes through the Old Testament where promises are made of a time to come when God would reign over his kingdom and his reigning presence would be characterised by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, Ezekiel chapter 11. The prophecy of Ezekiel, he, Ezekiel the prophet is told, Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. The era of the Holy Spirit is to be the saving reign of God. And it would not be fully, fully inaugurated, initiated, started up, that reigning uh, period of God until Jesus had died and been raised and ascended to heaven. It will not be fully realised until Christ returns. But for the time being, we in this era are better off not with Jesus before he had done that work that brought about this era. We're better off with Jesus at God's right hand 
and with the Holy Spirit amongst us, helping us, teaching us by God's word, testifying to all that Christ has achieved through his death and resurrection, and convicting the world through us. There's a lot in that, isn't it? To, to understand the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in convicting the world. And the way that the Holy Spirit, the way that God chooses to do his work in the world is through his people. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is at work kind of out there whilst we're in here. The way the Holy Spirit is likely to do that work of convicting the world is as we speak to the world, as we testify to the world uh, about who God is and about who Jesus is. So just briefly now, um, Jesus mentions having focused on the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, he picks up again and he's, he's mentioned this in the... Um, he's mentioned some of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst believers before. But there are a few more things he picks up in this passage. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit's work of teaching would continue, continue as the spirit of truth guides Jesus' disciples into all truth. Now here he's not saying that Holy Spirit will continue to give new and fresh revelations, not to them and nor to us here. He's certainly not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to give, subsequent to the disciples, any new revelation of God. Nothing that will contradict that which Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit's work is to reinforce what Jesus has said. So it's important to understand this. As the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth, to guide us into all truth. It's not to guide us in a way other than what Jesus has taught us. And so if you happen to feel the Holy Spirit is prompting to do, for you to do something or to believe something, Contrary to God's word, contrary to what we have here, if you feel the Holy Spirit is prompting you that way, let me assure you, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. At best, those urgings might be something like indigestion. <laughs> At worst, it would be the work of the prince of this world fighting against his condemnation, the work of Satan in us. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is not to give us any new revelation, but to help us unpack, help us understand what Jesus has already revealed. This is particularly important for the disciples who, who are still struggling to comprehend the fact that Jesus is about to die and be raised to life. Uh, but as we see, as we read through John's Gospel, there's little bits where we hear that the disciples really didn't understand this at the time. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, they came to understand it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, unpacking what Jesus had already taught them, revealing it to them that they might record it for us. 
And the Spirit continues that work of guiding us in all truth as we read God's Word and seek to understand it and unpack it. And in doing so, he will seek to bring glory to Jesus and to God the Father in turn. Verse, uh, verse 14, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The work of the Spirit will bring glory to Christ and to God the Father. couple of final things. So Jesus has encouraged the disciples, don't worry about me going, it'll be better for you that I go because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit which will do this work of convicting the world and guiding you as disciples. But Jesus' departure will bring some other benefits as well. Jesus going will bring lasting joy, he says. Verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now it's bold for Jesus as a man to make an allusion to the pain of childbirth. I would never dare to do that. Uh, but I guess because he invented childbirth, he can probably get away with it. But he's saying, you're going to see me again. You're sad at the moment, but when you see me again, you will have great joy and everlasting joy. And that joy doesn't just stem from the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and they've seen him. But in the light of having seen him raised from the dead, they will understand the significance of Jesus' death itself. It's not that Jesus' death is a time of pain and Jesus' resurrection a time of joy. But in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection, even looking at his death is a time of joy for us as we understand what he has achieved for us through his death and resurrection. The lasting joy that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth of fully understanding. Achieved through Jesus' death and resurrection. And that joy is celebrated in direct access to the Father. Direct access to a Father who loves us. Have a look at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name... I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus again gives us the confidence that we can pray for anything in accordance with God's will and he will hear that and answer us. Not because we ask Jesus and he goes and asks his Father as a favour for his friends but because God the Father himself loves us and longs to give good gifts to his children. Jesus' death and resurrection brings lasting joy because it brings us into the knowledge and, and love of God. So 
Jesus' departure will bring the Holy Spirit, will bring lasting joy, and finally will bring true peace. Jesus has warned them, things are going to get tough when I go. Things are going to become difficult. Verse 32, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. Jesus is saying a time of great uncertainty is coming. A time where it might seem like the world has the upper hand. We certainly see that in the history of the early church. We see that in the present church in many parts of the world. And I think we get a glimpse of seeing it more and more in the country in which we live. Where it seems to the church a time of uncertainty. A time where the world might have the upper hand. A time where the world looks at what we see as good and calls it evil. But Jesus is saying, take heart, know his peace. We can have certain confidence in all these things. Certain confidence, the work that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. Certain confidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And certain confidence that the outcome is assured. Jesus says, you can have peace, take heart, know this for certain, however things look. However hard the task, however much we seem to be on the back foot. He says, take a look at the scoreboard. I've already won. What? Okay, take a look at the scoreboard. The, the touchy subject at the moment, right? But imagine at half time last night, I said, take a look at the scoreboard. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. There's no doubt about it. The full-time siren has already uh, sounded. The result is already certain. Christ has conquered the world. So however hard we find it, we know the result is certain and we can have true peace. There's a lot in that, a lot for us to digest, a lot for us to reflect on as we live in a world that seems so uncertain. But Jesus says, in this era, as we long for his return, we can have confidence the work of the Holy Spirit, confidence of the certain joy that Christ has conquered all things, and in that we can have certain peace. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great love you sent Christ into the world that he might die for us. We thank you that in your great love you have so worked in us by your spirit that we might come, that we have come to see Jesus as he truly is, as your son. We thank you, Lord, that in your mercy you have worked in us to convict us of our sin, to convict us of righteousness. We ask that you might continue that work in us, that we might understand more and more our great need for Christ and all he has done for us. And we ask that in your mercy you might even use us to convict the world of their sin, that they might come to faith in Christ, 
they might see their need and turn. And we thank you too, Lord, that in the midst of a world that is opposed to you, we can have great comfort and certainty and joy in knowing that Christ has overcome all things. So we ask that you might sustain us with this certain hope as we long to see Christ face to face. We cry, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.